Hi, this is AJ Bingham, and I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Regions Financial Corporation. Regions is a different kind of bank with branches serving Central Texas from Austin to San Antonio and the Rio Grande Valley. Regions can assist your firm with M&A and investment banking needs, as well as specialty finance in the technology, healthcare, defense, and aerospace sectors. Learn more about Regions at www.regions.com, and you can find more information in the episode notes. Now on the show. Welcome to the BG Podcast, conversations at the intersection of business, community, and public policy from the Austin metro and around Texas. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and on iTunes and Google Play. Hello, this is AJ Bingham and welcome to the BG Podcast. Our guest today is Robert Head, the CEO of Blue Cord Farms. Welcome to the show, Robert. Uh, thank you. I'm glad to be on it. Man, yeah, just let people know, too, this is the first uh, show for us to recording um, through the Zoom platform. So it's a video conference that we're going to upload the audio to and our editor. So if it sounds a little different from our prior show, it's because we're doing it through a video conferencing platform. And but wait, wait, there we go. Uh, so, you know, Robert, my, reaching out to you, reaching out to you was a lot because of just recent articles about um, CBD and hemp and Texas, right? There was a recent passage of HB 1325, and um, your company, Blue Cord Farms, came to my attention when uh, there's a uh, y'all were profiled uh, in the Houston Chronicle in June, I believe, you know, shortly after the passage of the bill, and talking about just you know the the business potential apart from I mean, the obvious the hemp cultivation itself, um, but just you know kind of a just the potential for it as the market opens in, in Texas and. I want to get to that, but I want to get to your story and how you became got into the the hemp and you know and I know cannabis cultivation business in in Maine. Yeah, well, you know, it was one of those things where uh, I got involved in the cannabis industry through um, my own self awareness of the issues that I had with pills and booze. When I got out of the army. I was drinking a lot. I was uh, taking about eight. 10 pain pills a day and drinking a fifth of whiskey a week with a 12 pack of beer. This was a common routine and it kept getting worse. And so I was looking for some alternative uh, medication that would be able to both help me that wouldn't destroy my, my lifestyle and put pressure on my family and everything else. And somebody mentioned cannabis. And then from there on, um, I was just really inspired by how much it took a lot of the pills uh, away and gave me such a healthy life. But yet I was, I was a criminal for having to make that choice. And then I got, then uh, a friend of mine who I'd been serving with for a number of years got a hold of me and he, and he grows cannabis in Maine. And he says, you know, I'm a caregiver up here. I grow just a little bit here and there. And I, I've been doing it for about 20 years. And he was, so he and I started chatting more and more. And we were old buddies in the army too. So we already had a pretty good uh, bond. We thought to ourselves, said, you know what, if, if we could pull some of our money together, we could probably build you some greenhouses in a dry room and Next thing you know, you know, last year we started construction and, you know, we pretty much finalized, finished all the big construction uh, in um, June or not June, but April of this year. And so right now it's just fine tuning the operation to get it to 100 percent, which is uh, one of the reasons why we're raising capital now. But what got me so I got so interested in it was because there are so many of these growers out there that have been under the radar for, for years because of the black market. And now they're having this opportunity to grow. And really for what we did was that we came down, Blue Court Farms just set up an environment around him for him to be able to grow and cultivate his craft of growing cannabis. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, we're not having a problem selling it. So, yeah. you know, it, it, so we just, all we had to do was look at the numbers. Like how much can we, how much can this farm produce at a hundred percent? Well, this, then we need to put in this amount of money. So it was an easy mathematical problem to do. And, and next thing you know, we started doing it. And it's great because it got me very sucked into not just the, the farming aspect of cannabis or the business minded aspect of cannabis, but also, you know, in order for that, that, company to succeed you really need to understand the environment and this is how I'm going to kind of lead into hemp because I think people need to understand that when you're talking about cannabis you're talking about both hemp and marijuana now there's if we separate them we talk about just hemp the only difference between hemp and marijuana is a chemical compound Mm -hmm. Uh, it's it's really it the the big difference is going to be uh, the fact that hemp is low THC, high CBD, marijuana, for all argument's sake, is high THC, low CBD. Just for those who are just interested in it, not wanting to make a career out of it, that's the, that's the, the basis to go on. And Robert, let me add there too, just because it's interesting with what some of the ripples that the, the passage of uh, you know, House Bill 1325 has brought up. Because I think for folks who didn't know that, you know, the CBD, right, it's, it's, for, it's, it's, a, it's been, I would say, a very, it's been a consumer run, consumer run on that everything right last six months cbd you know actually it's been been coming out for the past eight years but it really hasn't hit texas for the past uh three or four years it's been something that we've uh seen you know um that we knew about Mm -hmm. so one of the things uh, a misunderstanding in in this industry is that the plants are grown on purpose to make them more potent. And, and that's not necessarily true. So plants are grown in better environments that allow the, those plants to, to, re, to maximize their, their potential for their DNA. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why they become more potent. It's not necessarily that they're trying to get the, the most out of that, most THC that they can. They're trying to get the most out of that plant. So we're seeing, now we're seeing these hemp plants with great CBD, uh, good genetics, and they're being grown outdoors or indoors or in a uh, facility where uh, greenhouses are at or however they're, they're being grown. But when they are finished in their finalized products, they look identical to marijuana. Now, when you talk about industrial hemp for fiber, grain, seeds, it's grown like corn, it's grown outdoors, it's cultivated kind of like hay and baled. It looks completely different. Um, but the hemp for CBD and how it's grown, there's a, there's a lot of similarities between it and what uh, what's grown in marijuana for medical marijuana, just like I have the farm up in Maine. Mm-hmm. I mentioned too, y'all have your your farms over there, but you have operations. You're based out in uh, your operations in Dallas, correct? Right. So we do the management side from Dallas, the business yeah. management side, and that's you know finding finding banks or uh, trying to or doing the CPA, doing the accounting, finding out how to, you know, when we spend funds, we label it properly and we, we, we put them into to different accounts so that we know that uh, we keep good track of our, our costs and our spending. I do the numbers for them, uh, keep track of the strains. He does the growing. Mm-hmm. He does the farm and, roll and runs the farm. I run the business side of it, marketing, how much we're spending, our forecasts and things of that nature. And so you were, I think you're, you're looking to create a, a hemp processing a hemp processing facility in the Dallas area and the coming, I guess, well, it kind of depends on when the, you know, the, 
relations allow, right? But that's kind of a major driver for you right now is start getting a pressing facility going on in the, in the DFW Metro um, for those fibers. I mean, for the processing of this for commercial applications and consumer applications. Right. So this is going to be a, a the idea that, that we have that we would like to be able to do here in North Texas will be a, a hemp decortication facility. And decortication is the act of pulling fibers from the stock. And it can be any, it doesn't have to be hemp. It can be anything. And it, it can be bamboo, uh, keep uh, some, there's all types of plants that can be done with. What a decortication facility is and the, the importance of how to properly execute a decortication facility is that you need to be able to raise, to, to farm for seeds, distribute those seeds out to farmers that you have contracts with, buy the hemp back to corticate it and, uh, and transfer that hemp to your supply chain. And that's the reason why that has to occur that way is that when farmers grow their hemp, they're having to pay for cost of, of logistics. And that cost of logistics can eat into their, um, a, a lot of their revenue by uh, going a little bit over 75 miles from that location because of all the weight, transportation, and everything else. If you're growing four and a half tons of hemp per acre, you know, and you have 100 acres, that's a lot of hemp that's going to be transported that you have to pay for. So you want to kind of keep your net farms close to the decortication facility. So really, it's, it, it, it is in order to have the decortication facility here, which it, it's going to be a, a year or two away before we even be able to break ground. Mm -hmm. um, it would be a expensive because you have to do it on a large volume to make it worth the while. So you're talking about a $15 million facility. But if you put these facilities in, you know, three or four places across Texas, you could cover a lot of landscape for farmers. And um, this kind of, it all kind of connects. Uh, hemp is the Rodale Institute who I did an interview with a couple of weeks ago. They do a lot of permaculture type farming. Um, they do farming for uh, all organic farming. And so we were discussing putting hemp in a rotation for crops. And in Texas, you know, we got 25 million acres that was farmed last year. And a lot of these uh, crop row crops that could be uh, that are being used in corn and wheat and everything else, you can put hemp in between these rotations to help out with the soil. And they've noticed that that crops that come in after that rotation that hemp's removed, they're getting a bigger return. Now, we we don't know the the exact data on that return because this is still technology that we're uh, we're studying. Mm -hmm. but they have seen up to twenty percent return on corn that has come through or soybean that's come through. And then just for my education, because I'm not a farmer, what are the, what are the kind of the growing regions for, for, for rope crops, right? So, I mean, if we both know it's a big state, right? But what are, and on that note too, I know because our state's so big, we actually have multiple zones we can grow in, right? Um, mm -hmm. Almost year, not year round, but close to it. But what are the, what are both? What are one of those zones in the state? I mean, that's the question. What are the zones in the state that are most, um, desirable for for the, I mean for crops like this uh the north texas area is pretty desirable we're talking the panhandle texas. like like panhandle yeah, area panhandle can do it anywhere you can successfully grow corn you can throw hemp in there gotcha and everybody's growing seasons would be a bit different our growing season would probably start in april and harvest in august and you know places like up north will probably start more in june and harvest in october mm -hmm. i know um those are those traditional crops are kind of cotton and corn as well right I know in North, like my family's all from North Carolina, 
you know, they had passed the industrial hemp bill a few sessions uh, cycles ago, but mm -hmm. I mean, that's a lot of that, you know, especially where my part my family's from originally, it's all, it's like a lot means to their corner of cotton country out there. Yeah. So, yeah. It is, it is a crop that they call a cash crop because there's so multi, there's, it's a multi-use crop. Uh, for example, when we start talking about hemp and, and in general, let's just talk, let's just only talk about hemp. We'll take marijuana out of the subject. It just hemp alone. About 25% of the uses of hemp is, med, is medicinal. The mm -hmm. rest of it's all from like composites to, uh, to oil. I mean, to, yeah, to oil, to fuel, to uh, clothes, to all textiles. There's so many different things to concrete. There's so many things that they can use the, the uh, plant for because it's, strong because it's uh it grows so quickly we don't have a an issue growing we have don't have a problem with bugs we don't have a problem with, with weeds so it's something that can be cultivated and used on a multi-level purpose now one of the things i think is extremely important people understand that this is not going to happen like that right technology for the use of hemp in these industries has to catch up to the point where it is uh financially viable to, to put hemp as a replacement to another plant product that they're currently using, right? So if I'm using, let's say, wood pulp to make paper, I have to bleach it and I have to make it look just like the, the paper I'm making that's selling tons and tons and tons. I need to make it just as good, good as that and cheaper for hemp to really make an impact. And that technology is not there. It, it will be over time because hemp's going to be something that's just going to be supplied. It's going to be really cheap to buy and so more and more people will want to use him but they're gonna have to have that technology that'll catch up because hemp's been illegal to use for about 80 years where wood oil corn cotton and everything else has been completely legal mm -hmm. so the technology to advance those products those commodities into something that we use on a daily basis has an 80-year technology jump ahead of hemp yeah but people need to keep that in mind. Do you think, uh, I mean, was this, were you involved at all this last session when the bills, when the, there were several hip bills that were introduced in, in January? Um, were you down at the Capitol? Was it two things? One, was that your first time at the Capitol? That, I'm, really, I'm always curious about people's experiences with that, that scene. For people who don't know, who are from Texas or not from Texas, our state government meets every odd year for 140 days so they, they convene usually uh mid early mid-january and they'll go through until uh may 31st early june and it's just a mad dash you had to get two years worth of business done uh in 140 days yeah uh, <laughs> this one was my my first uh it wasn't my first time in the capitol doing meetings or anything like that it was my first time during session yeah uh, Whole other level, right? Whole other level, yeah. You're talking about a busy, busy time. I mean, it is bustling. Everybody's trying to get the ear of all the different uh, representatives and senators in there. I had several different meetings. I met with Dan Patrick's office. I met with our, my own state representative, John, uh, Julie Johnson, and Senator Nathan Johnson, uh, along with multiple other ones. I but most of everything I worked on was the marijuana bills, and the reason was because when 1325 was written by Tracy King, I had read it. And I, all these issues that we're having now, as far as the testing problems and they don't, and the people are not um, going to uh, bust for marijuana and hemp and everything else. I saw all that when I come, when I read the bill, but that being said, there was a huge support for the bill. 
in, in the House, there was an overwhelming support for the bill. We had heard through the grapevine that the Senate was going to do the same thing and that they had no problems passing it because federally it was all, all right. And none of the people who – Greg Abbott, Dan Patrick, none of them ever really read into hemp. They thought it was a completely different plant than marijuana. And then it got passed. So there was a lot of us who just said, you know what, let's not, let's not make bring up anything. Let's just let this thing organically – become law because that's yeah. what that's how much support it had by the time it got to the governor the governor wouldn't be able to uh veto it because it had so much support it was veto proof so there wasn't a lot of things that for us to really get involved with with the hemp aspect we were so concerned with putting all the focus on the marijuana bills uh, but this was a great bill uh, i know you know keith oakley uh who helped ride with tracy king this was a bill that um, I, sometimes he gets kind of upset. He's like, well, you know, I didn't know there's gonna be all these problems. I'm like there's no such thing as a perfect bill. Oh no. Is you open the floodgates and now we can go through and we can handle problems that come up as they come up, but you're letting the market live. And that's more important. Let the market go, let the market adjust itself and it will. But as soon as government intervention gets too high, it becomes not worth investing into. And just again, for those who, who aren't aware, the, the issue, the kind of the, the some of the ripples of this bill um, relate to just uh, this enforcement, right? So under the bill, um, hemp legally legally is defined as anything that's 0.3 or below 0.3 or below uh, percentage amount of THC. Anything above that 0.3 threshold is considered cannabis, marijuana. And the issue is, though, that law enforcement agencies, at least at the time the bill was passed, and probably, I'm sure they're catching up now uh, as we're recording this on August 26th, uh, didn't have the, the technology to, to test. So the difference between a CBD edible and a THC edible, I mean, you might tell, but you, you could tell by sight, but there was no clear um, way to test it. And so for that reason, a lot of, um, at least a lot of the major metro dis, uh, district attorneys were throwing out low-level marijuana cases because you could, or alleged marijuana cases because you couldn't tell a difference. And it, you know, it just wasn't in terms, of, I guess, you know, the actual manpower needed to test all that. Right. It would be a backlog, and it wasn't worth the state's time, the city, the county's time to do. Correct. Uh, there's there's a lot of, lot to that too, and and let me see if I can help help explain the the true confusion in this. Um, years ago, and I say years ago in the cannabis industry is always about five or 10 years ago because it's so new. There was a study that found, actually it was an early 90s study that found that we have an incannabinoid system. So one of the reasons why when marijuana stays in your system for four weeks and alcohol doesn't, well, your body has receptors to bring in a lot of the, the molecules and the chemical compounds that are in, in, um, cannabis. And so it holds it. So that's why whenever you test for it, well, yeah, you have it because your body's holding on to it because it's using it. So when we start talking about THC and all these um, cannabinoids, which are different molecules that are within the plant, one of them is called THC Delta 9, and there's another one called THCA. Mm -hmm. All right. This is where the point three problem comes into hand. The point three is an arbitrary number. There's no scientific data to back it up. It's just something that people have been using for a number of years. So that's what policies have been using. The problem is, is that when you're out in the field and you're harvesting your hemp, 
and you take the flower from the top and you send it in and it gets tested and it comes back and it says 0.25% Delta 9 THC. And it says 0.1% THCA. So right now you got 2.5 and you're under Delta 9 THC. So you're good, right? Because the law only, uh, only talks about Delta 9 DHC. Well, then you're like, I cut all of this plants down. They're completely legal. I send them and I sell them to a processor. The processor then takes them and he runs them into oil by through heating up the plants and extracting the oil. Okay, that's his process. Here's a problem. That process is called decarbol decarbolization. And when you take THCA and you heat it up, it transfers in to delta, THC delta 9. Now, 0.1%, you'll never feel it. So it's it, even 0.3% and even 1% THC, you, you're not going to really feel. But now you have oil that is 0.35 delta 9 THC. Yeah. Now, is that legal or not? One of the bill, no. Well, the bill doesn't state that. The yeah. bill states from the that has to be from the harvest. So, is it just from the flower? And does it matter with the oil? Fair enough. Yeah. So this is the pro so this this confusion uh, is going to evolve in the courts, and it's going to have to be settled in the courts. Everybody everybody has to understand that the bill is one thing, but how the courts read the bill is a completely different argument. And sometimes it reads just like the the, the bill reads, but sometimes if you take a case to the court systems and they rule that Delta nine is the very end product, that's what they're talking about. Well, then you have to get an appeals court to overturn that. So these are the problems that are going to occur. And, um, you can't, you know, we don't know how it's going to, I don't know how it's going to fold out, but mm -hmm. eventually what will probably the best way to keep that from becoming a large issue and financially draining issue on a community is to legalize marijuana. Thus, the point three is irrelevant in regards to what is considered this and that. Then you can just take it up to 1% just for, so that people know, well, I have a marijuana license. Well, I have a hemp license. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you're, you know, if you're growing this and that, this is where it has to stay in, if that's what they want to do. Yeah, I know that. I'm sure those uh, those discussions will be ongoing for the next several oh, yeah. until 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 it's handled right. Right. So just kind of wrapping up, but what are some uh, some challenges and opportunities you're looking at in your market over the next you know, next five years? Right. I think top of mind just from our discussion here would be just a lot of the you know kind of the peculiarities of uh some of the not unintended consequences of this bill getting those hashed out and for, and secured and um, what else are you, are you are you looking at? Well, uh, as far as in the marijuana industry, which is is right now mine, the craft cannabis, organic craft cannabis industry, one of the biggest things is going to be banking and supply chain opening up for us. We do not get the same uh, rights as everybody else that does in regards to that. So I can't put my product in Kroger. I can't put my product, my product in HEB. I can't transfer it outside of my state. I have to keep it within my state. Uh, Banking is very difficult. You have to you have to have different companies doing different things and moving money around. It becomes dangerous. So there's a lot of things that need to be done now in the hemp industry. They're allowed for banking right now. They're they're, they're finalizing a lot of that, which is very very good. But the other thing too is that you're you have um, banks that 
that it can now lend. And so we're going to start seeing um, some lending to, to hemp farmers, and that's going to really help spur that economy. And when you spur an economy, especially in Texas, that has so much potential for such a great cannabis industry, both medical marijuana and uh, hemp, uh, I, I would say that, that policy is going to be there, but my first and foremost will be both supply chain and, and banking rates. Gotcha. Well, Robert, thanks for your time and I uh, look forward to have you back on the show in the future. And uh, we'll put your contact information in the show notes for, for folks who are interested in learning more about Blue Cord Farms. Yeah, we appreciate it. Veteran owned and operated, baby. I think oh, we'll add that part too. You are, um, you know, uh, as, as these things matter in Texas, you're an Aggie. Mm-hmm. That's right? right. And a veteran as well. And on that note too, I know, I mean, I know just as this goes through, there's some components, components of HB 1325 that relate to, you know, higher education being involved in terms of the the, the research around hemp and everything else. And, you know, there's A&M, definitely, I mean, they have their AgriLife extension, which is a, for those, for those who are not aware, it's a major think tank around farming and seed science, high science, mm-hmm. genetics, and so on. So that. Robert, that's something you haven't haven't looked at yet. I mean, I know they love their they love their alums. So uh, as you know, so it's something that I would I would uh, just your free advice to check out. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, in. I've talked to Ag Life about it, and uh, they are extremely excited about it. There's a lot of of um, and we can do a whole podcast on this. There's a lot of interesting aspects to the history of cannabis and all the genetics that we see. That's why you see all these strains with all these different names mm-hmm. and. Um, a lot of it is because of their genetics. And when you have a, a university that has the ability like A&M to, to research that, you can really find out what's the difference between all these real strains. Yeah. And I think on their end too, right? It's the having a consistent hemp strain that produces, you know, I mean, it's kind of the Monsanto kind of thing, right? We're like, cool. We have one product that's it's this and this, and you plant this in your field, you're going to get these kinds of yields for, mm-hmm. you know, for building or whatever you want to do with it clothing right. and so on so right. robert yeah future future is interesting <laughs> it's it is it's all right well thanks for your time and yeah we look forward to having you back in the show had a great time we'll see you guys soon all right hi this is aj we want to again thank our sponsor regions financial corporation with branches serving central texas from austin to san antonio and the rio grande valley Regents can help your firm with its M&A and investment banking needs, as well as specialty finance, the technology, healthcare, defense, and aerospace sectors. Learn more about Regents in the episode notes. Thank you for listening to today's BG Podcast. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com podcast and iTunes and Google Play. Subscribe to stay current on future posts.